Well, welcome everybody to what is a really exciting day in the life of our church family. Uh, I don't know if you've been around before, but uh, if you have, you'll know that over these last couple of years, we've really started to feel like this September back to school season is much more of a new year for us as a church family and as a ministry than January 1st is. And so we've begun to kind of kick off the ministry season with what we call a vision day. A vision day. And uh, vision, of course, is a picture of the future that provokes passion in people, that kind of drives people forward. And over the years, God has delivered pictures for us of the future that have driven passion in us again and again and again. And so these vision days are some of my favorite days. And I hope you're looking forward to this morning as much as I am. What I want to share with you, though, is that we are so excited about the sense of vision that God has given us in this particular ministry season, in this particular kind of school calendar year, that we actually didn't feel like one particular vision conversation could contain it. And so we've actually kind of launched into, whether you know this or not, more of what we're calling this year a vision week. We've actually kind of ratcheted up the idea of exposing ourselves to the vision God has for us for an entire week that includes this morning's conversation, uh, a gathering together in our St. Catherine's location across our, our whole church family later this afternoon and into this evening, and then some location-specific conversation next Sunday so that we're going to kind of bookend the whole week with vision that's going to paint a picture of the future that's going to inspire passion in people, people like you and me. And so uh, to start things off, though, today, what I want to do is kind of anchor us, first things first, in the kind of vision that God ultimately would want us to pursue, both personally and together as a church community in the next year. Because when you think about vision as a picture of the future that kind of provokes passion in people, that drives behavior, you know, there's vision all over the place. Sports teams have vision. Companies have vision. Even families have vision. But for a church, for the people of God, for people of faith aspiring to follow Jesus Christ, there's a very specific kind of vision that is to inspire passion in us and drive our lives forward. And so to just anchor this whole week in the right kind of vision, I want to invite all of you, if you brought a Bible along or have a Bible app on your portable device, to turn to Luke chapter 19 and to read along with me. We're going to read through an entire passage in Luke chapter 19 to discover the kind of vision that God would have drive us in this next season or year of life together. Now, Luke 19 uh, is a story that Jesus originally told uh, to his original disciples. It's called a parable. And uh, the parable that Jesus is telling that we're going to look at today begins, if you're following along, I hope you all are, uh, in verse 12. So in verse 12 of Luke chapter 19, it says this, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas, uh, amounts of money, 
And he said, put this money to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. This parable is quite simple. It's about a a guy who's going to be crowned king, who leaves to be crowned king, uh, expecting to return in the future one day. And this king, uh, the passage introduces, has actually two different kinds of people under his purview. What the passage refers to on the one hand as servants, There are people who acknowledge this person as their king, as their leader, and want to kind of faithfully advance their purposes or their agenda. And then in addition to servants, there are what the text calls subjects. There are people who aren't interested in this king being their king or having a leadership influence in their lives. But the text refers to them as subjects because just because they don't want this king to be king, they're going to be king anyways, and so they're subjects under their, under their purview, whether they're submissive to them or not. So the story is about a king with servants and with subjects, two kind of different types of people. And it continues on, first of all, by discussing the servants. It says in verse 15 that this man was made king, however, and he returned home. So then he sent the servants, he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, you take charge of five cities. With these servants, as the passage described, this king had entrusted them with some of his resources to use on his behalf while he was away. And just so we understand, a mina, this sum of money, uh, in modern day kind of currency was probably over a million dollars. Okay, this mina was more like a maja in cheesy dad jokes. So uh, appreciate that this is no small sum, even though he refers to it being small things that they're being faithful in. These are big amounts of money that that he's invested in them, kind of poured out to them. But he was a person of noble birth, so it's probably chump change for him. And he comes back, and in both these cases, these servants were faithful to use productively and profitably what he had invested in them. And so there's great celebration and great reward and appointment far beyond the amounts of money that he's invested in them. He puts them in charge and gives them far greater responsibility because of the way that they've proven faithful to their king. Now in the story, it doesn't end there. There's actually another kind of servant described beginning in verse 20, where it says, then another servant came and said, sir, uh, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, it could have, I could have collected it with interest at least? Then he said to those standing by, take away his mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. And the king replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken 
away. In this particular case, while this servant was identified as a servant, they acknowledged the king as king, uh, this servant was less faithful than the first two. And it's not that he completely spent or squandered the sum of money that was invested in him to use. He just didn't generate any return on that investment. That's why the king declared him to be wicked. And unfortunately, this servant, because of his lack of faithfulness, missed out on the reward and celebration of the king. Because of his unfaithfulness, this servant missed out. Not as much, though, as the subjects miss out. And the passage continues on in verse 26, where the king says, But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Um, just so we're clear, that this is kind of the reason why Disney never picked this passage up to turn it into a major motion picture. I mean, it, it doesn't end you know, on a high note in that sense. In, in contrast, it actually ends uh, extremely tragically. Because these subjects, even though they weren't prepared to acknowledge this person as king, had to face the fact that they, in fact, were king and were punished as a result. And as a result of their unwillingness to acknowledge the king, um, they found themselves missing out on the life in the king's kingdom. They found themselves missing out on the very life of the kingdom of the king. Now, in a nutshell, that's the story or the parable of Luke 19. A king goes away for a period of time, promises to return, and there are subjects, people who reject him as king, servants who are entrusted resources of the king but don't use them faithfully, and then faithful servants of the king that generate a return on that investment and kind of elicit greater responsibility and celebration by the king. That's the basic dynamic of the passage in Luke chapter 19. Now the question is, what does any of that have to do with a vision day at Southridge Community Church in September of 2018? Well, at the beginning of this parable, the author of this biographical account of the life of Jesus, a physician named Luke, writes this in verse 11 to introduce the whole thing. He says, Jesus went on to tell them, to tell his original hearers a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Luke provides a purpose for this parable, basically saying that the original hearers of it, Jesus' first disciples, were expecting this concept called the kingdom of God the new society that Jesus had talked about establishing under his leadership and influence with him playing the role of king for people of faith who would follow him faithfully, they expected that as he was heading towards Jerusalem nearing his promised death. They expected that to happen right away. And so it sounds as if Luke says Jesus told them this parable to correct that misunderstanding. Instead of an expectation of right away, Jesus was creating in them a longer range view. 
And you can only assume that the reason Jesus was creating a longer range view was so that he could trigger in the example of the faithful servants in the parable, a certain degree of faithfulness in them in the meantime until he was to return and establish that kingdom. And the same point is applied to us today. That what God is looking for from you and I is a faithfulness until he returns. And it's actually the expectation of his return that ought to drive our faithfulness. Here's the point for Vision Day, or at least the launch of this Vision Week in 2018. That the vision that ultimately drives the faithful lives of yours and mine and us together is not necessarily any old vision. It's a very specific vision. It's a vision of the king's return. It's a vision of the king's return. Faithfulness is driven more than anything by a vision of the king's return. That's what's so significant for you and I personally and for us together as a church family at the dawn of this season and even this week of casting vision. Because around here, we love to cast vision. At least uh, around here, I love to cast vision. Many of you, especially those of you who are staff, who have to endure an hour of staff orientation when you come on staff sitting in my office, will be familiar with many of the ways that uh, I've cast vision over the years, including this bad boy. Many of you have seen this image before. Some of you wonder whether this image is the only thing that I do here at work. And to a large degree, you would be right. And because you would be right, that would make this little bad boy uh, probably the most expensive piece of artwork in the history of our church. Okay, this is what we call the monomythic cycle. Mono meaning one, myth meaning story, cycle meaning pattern. It's the pattern or structure of a single narrative, particularly an epic narrative. You know, every epic narrative begins with an original ideal where soon after conflict emerges. That's what makes the, the narrative, the story interesting. And then the tension escalates as things go from bad to worse until it reaches a climax at rock bottom where all of a sudden it experiences a surprising twist that then leads to an era of restoration that ultimately leads to a superior ideal, sort of the happily ever after moment at the end. And you can follow stories and epic narratives like Cinderella or Star Wars. They all follow this same predictable pattern, as does the story of God's activity throughout human history recorded from front to back in the Bible. Now, the message of the Bible begins with the original ideal of creation. When God designed things as they were intended to be, but soon after, humans behaved independently, made their own decisions, and sin and brokenness entered the world. Things escalated then from bad to worse through the entire Old Testament, not that God wasn't active or at work, but rather because it increasingly illustrated the futility of humanity's ability to rectify this issue of sin on their own on our own, only to find us at a rock bottom where the people of Israel by the end of the Old Testament found themselves conquered and defeated and, and exiled from their land and ultimately feeling abandoned by God. When suddenly a surprising twist emerged in the person of Jesus, which was God intervening and sending an agent 
on his behalf who could do for us what we as humanity ultimately couldn't do for ourselves, leading to his sacrificial death, his miraculous resurrection, the availability of his risen spirit to fill believers in a restored era called the church, where believers could be united together to propagate the life and legacy of Jesus and share his love with the world, all leading to one day when Jesus would return and as it says in Revelation, establish the new heaven and earth, the new creation where he returns and establishes his kingship once and for all. Where in the world there's you know, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, but the world functions as it always intended to be because it's been fully restored. The king has returned and established his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We spend a lot of time talking about this as a church community. And the reason we spend a lot of time talking about this as a church community is because it reveals to us our church's vision. Around here at Southridge, we don't believe that vision is something that we just invent. We believe that vision is something that God has already revealed in the story of his activity throughout human history. Because the church finds itself intended by God to play a role in that story and to be these agents of restoration in the power of the risen Jesus, becoming a tidal wave of love to the world around it. You know, just to be clear here, let's appreciate that when the Bible uses the word church, I know some of us understand church as a building, you know, a place you go for an event where you just kind of sit there and maybe take notes or sing some songs and then leave after an hour or so. Understand that the biblical vision of church is so far more compelling than a place you go or an hour a week or how you spend your mornings on Sunday. The vision God has for the church is to be a restorative force of his spirit in the world where people following Jesus are unified together by his life in his love to be that tidal wave of love to the world. It's an absolutely captivating vision that we want to invite everyone into together. But as much as we talk about the vision of our church revealed by God through his word, the vision of the church, according to Luke 19, is actually not the most important part of this diagram, is it? Because according to Luke 19, there are some other things that matter even more, particularly this and this. The reality and the return of Jesus. Because until we can acknowledge that Jesus, in fact, through his sinless life, sacrificial death, and miraculous resurrection, has in fact become the spiritual king of kings to rule over everything one day when he returns. And until we realize that he has promised to and will return to do that one day, we can't be driven by the picture of his return. We're only driven by how compelling the vision of the church is. And what Jesus intends to do in the parable of the talents or the parable of the minas that Luke intends to do by sharing that parable with his original hearers, I believe that God intends to do in us at the dawn of this vision season in 2018 to help us understand what ultimately drives us. And it's not the compelling vision that God has for the church, as fantastic and compelling as that can be. 
The ultimate vision that drives faithfulness is the vision of the return of the king, of the return of Jesus Christ to claim his kingdom and find us faithful in the meantime. Now, for some of us, I realize that you know, we're just not there. We're, we're not at that place. And uh, if we think about the story in Luke 19, we probably identify at some level like the subjects where maybe we're brand new to this conversation of faith or maybe nothing has compelled us to buy into the reality of Jesus before and we've never allowed him the freedom to lead in our lives. And, you know, he might, you know, think he's king and other people might treat him as king, but he's not king to us. Obviously, in Luke 19, the story does not end well for the subjects, but the good news is today the story can end well for you. If, in fact, you will be faithful to explore the claims and the reality of Jesus as king. I want to invite you, if you're in that place today, to begin an exploration journey to discover what is true and real about this Jesus of Nazareth and the person he claimed to be, particularly around his death and resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If, if this isn't true, then faith in Christ is a complete waste of time. But if it is true, and Jesus is coming back one day to claim his kingship and establish his kingdom once and for all, I hope that all of us would be motivated to want to do what it takes to figure that out so we would be ready. And this fall, I want to invite you into journeying in that exploration journey together with us. One specific action step that I would encourage you if you're in that place to take is to look for the advertisements to sign up for what's called Alpha. Alpha is a 10-week experience. In some of our locations, it'll be done in a larger group context. And in others, it's going to be administered through a small group format. But it's the same experience, same kind of curriculum. And for 10 weeks, it asks all kinds of major questions about the Bible and God and the person and claims of Jesus. If you do nothing else, if you're in that place kind of as a subject and have never allowed Jesus the role of king in your life, if nothing else, be faithful to sign up for Alpha in your location and participate in 10 explorative steps and the journey of actually discovering whether Jesus is who he says he is. If you have friends that you want to bring along, the more the merrier. They're welcome to explore that too. But take the step of exploring whether in fact Jesus is in reality the spiritual king of kings so that you don't miss out on the adventure of following him. Now for some of us, we may not uh, identify as subjects in the story in Luke 19, but we may concede that while we're servants, while we would identify with some kind of you know, influence or leadership of Jesus in our lives, we really haven't been all that faithful. And if we're honest with ourselves, we could realize that we, we've been relating to God more for what we can get out of it than what God can get out of us. And, you know, we're following Jesus so that our life works out well, that we can find a spouse or own a home or pay off the home or retire comfortably or, you know, be known a certain way or have a certain status or friendship group or, you know, even when we attend events of the church or when we participate in things, we can do so so that we get something out of it to advance our agenda. 
and we've never realized what God has invested in us for his purposes, for us to steward until he returns. I find it interesting in Luke chapter 19 that uh, one of the motivators, the primary motivator of that, what he calls wicked servant, that unfaithful servant is fear. And so if you find yourself in that place today, finding yourself not, not really faithful in what God's entrusted to you, I would encourage you to take the step of getting to know this king better. Doing what it takes to get to know the person of Jesus better so your mindset and your understanding about him can change. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, right? When, when you understand God for who he really is, things change. And last spring, we learned that there are people of faith that have very different attitudes and understandings of how to relate to God. Some who feel like relating to God is all about obeying rules and you know, following the script. Some relate to God, requiring him to kind of point out things that are wrong with us and be shame and, and guilt-driven. Others we talked about are driven by fear. They're just terrified because none of those types of people truly understand that at the core of the heart of God is love and at the core of a life with God is knowing that love, being changed by that love and then sharing that love with the world and in community becoming a tidal wave of love to the surrounding society. If you do nothing else, if you're in that place today, I would encourage you to participate in the life of our church this year in a way that exposes yourself to that love. Attend our primary programs like our weekend services. Participate in our life groups midweek and join the anchor cause of your location so that together as a three-part harmony, those primary programs can in each unique ways and especially together provide you with an exposure to the love of Jesus so that you can truly get to know the love of the King. So that you can be more motivated to be faithful with your life for him until he returns. Because for many of us around here, that's the life that we want to live. We want to be those faithful servants and to those who identify Jesus as their king, trust that he's coming back one day and want to make the absolute most of the rest of our one and only lives. Let's just realize that it's not something spectacular that God is requiring from us. And it's not something that we can get distracted by in our own affairs. It's his purposes lived out fully and faithfully in us in even small, subtle ways, knowing and growing in and sharing his love in increasing ways. That's the life that Jesus is calling us to live rather than getting distracted by you know, our friendships and our children and all of our errands to run and work responsibilities and climbing the corporate ladder and you know, all the yard work and housework and all the kinds of things that can distract us from the simple faithfulness in the small things that Jesus has entrusted us with in stewarding his life in us for the time until he returns. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we will not give up. Gang, our church is simply built 
on eras of God blessing and in a sense rewarding and promoting us for the faithfulness of its people in even small, simple ways. You know, the faithfulness to start a church with an eye on the next generation and then the faithfulness to entrust the leadership of the church to that generation a generation later. You know, God's blessed and honored the faithfulness of people to look outward and to care about people, you know, far from him and outside the church. And we could organize and kind of reorient reorient ourselves to them. Even up and relocate our facilities to put ourselves in proximity to love people better in practical ways. God has blessed and honored the faithfulness of people to want to expand and to relocate in other sites so that across Niagara, we could replicate this dynamic of having these anchor causes, these missions of of God's love in the communities where he's placed us so that again and again and again, God could put us in places of responsibility for the care of the communities where we find ourselves. That's been the simple story of the history of our church is God honoring and blessing and in that sense, promoting us to greater and greater spiritual responsibility because people have been faithful to steward the investments that God has made in them personally and together. And we do that the most, not by being captivated by the vision of the next season, but rather by being captivated by the vision of the King's return. You got to know that around here these days, things are just dripping with vision. It is so thrilling to be around here these days. I know talking with friends in our Vineland location, you know, there, there is a new subdivision being built down by Lake Ontario in that area, uh, very close to where our location pastor lives that could house up to 5,000 new residents in that part of Niagara. It's probably going to make traffic for the rest of us terrible, but it's going to be great for the Vineland community because vision is starting to bubble about how to prepare to reach them effectively. In Welland, I know that our leaders there have had meetings recently with the mayor of Welland and started to imagine what could be done with the new property that we've acquired and the vacant land that we have, given that the greatest social ill in that part of Niagara happens to be affordable housing. And as they talk and meet and pray, you, you can see that vision is starting to swell. In St. Catharines, we've been in conversation with a series of mayors that's not only led us to house a a homeless shelter in our church building, but now to dream about a full service center to serve and accommodate homeless people of Niagara right on our property and what it would look like to be able to offer things like detox and emergency shelter and transitional housing and supportive affordable housing with all of the supportive supplements to serve the homeless community right there in proximity, all the while being in proximity with our church community where we can strike up those unlikely friendships where, as we say, friendship makes the difference. Everywhere you look around Southridge these days, there are these visions that are growing that in this era of our church's history are captivating our heart. And what I hope in the coming week is that you'll expose yourself to hearing more about them. I hope that every single one of you will make a point of being back here at 5 p.m. tonight 
for dinner together where we get to enjoy the gift that God's given us in each other. And then afterwards, where we can celebrate and, and enjoy together some of the vision that God wants to cast through our various ministry leaders. As we hear about how they're trying to be faithful in this next era of our ministry's life and how they want to invite each of us to be faithful in partnership with them. Do not miss out on this experience tonight at our St. Catherine's location. And then next Sunday, make sure that you are back in this environment at whatever location you're at, where we get to hear in live ways from the heart, from each of our location pastors, as they continue and conclude this talk by applying the truth of Luke chapter 19 to the unique setting and context of each of our locations. So that as local church families, we can discover for ourselves what it would mean to be faithful together in the era of the local community where God has placed us as a part of this thing called Southridge. Right? There's all kinds of vision that we want you to expose yourself to in this whole vision week. We hope that you will participate in all of it. But for today, I hope that first things first, you will just ask yourself the long, hard question of what it would look like for you to personally be more faithful this year, whether you identify with the subject, whether you identify with the unfaithful servant, or whether you want to be one of those faithful servants that gets the well done, good and faithful servant at the end of your life. Regardless of where you come from, our invitation is to be increasingly faithful to become more like those faithful servants this year. And as a church community across all of our locations, we want to help you do that. As our service closes today, we're going to be handing out a book for everyone. Uh, this is a book written by a pastor in Michigan named Jeff Mannion, and it's called Dream Big, Think Small. Dream Big, Think Small. And it's designed as a devotional book. It's organized into 30 different small chapters, each chapter to be read one day of the work week for six consecutive weeks. So Monday to Friday for six consecutive weeks are the 30 chapters. And we're hoping that everyone will collect one of these books, take it home, and first thing in the morning, starting tomorrow or over your lunch break or at the end of your work day or before you go to bed, you'll make a point and journey together with all of us as a church family to discover how God may want to grow in us our faithfulness in the small things in our lives that he's entrusted to us that can advance his purposes in the world. If you're able to afford the book and help offset the costs, you can contribute $10 in cash or check to your uh, location's welcome center, or you can go online to southridgechurch.ca slash donations and pay by PayPal. If you can't afford the $10, grab the book anyways. We want you to have it as our gift to you. If, of course, you could afford more than the book, throw $20 in and buy an extra book for a friend. It's not about the money or even about recouping the costs. It's about getting these books in our hands so that the first six weeks of this year, we can use this vision week to launch us into a season of pursuing faithfulness so that no matter where we find ourselves today, we can find ourselves becoming increasingly faithful servants with the one and only life that God has entrusted to us. I know that personally, I want to be one of those people. I know in my life, I've lived as a subject before. I've lived as if God wasn't 
king and have an era of my life that I have to live with the regret of missing out on all that God has for me. Uh, frankly, I've had eras of my life where I lived as that unfaithful servant, would have identified myself as a person of faith and God as king, but really was just kind of living for myself and not paying a lot of attention to what he invested in me and have to look back and realize what I squandered in those eras of opportunity. But for the last number of years and decades, I have tried to give the very best of the rest of my one and only life to what matters the absolute most in the world, the vision of God for his people to be lived out in this era of human history. And I've had the incredible privilege of doing that with hundreds and hundreds of others of you. And for me, I only want to grow in becoming more faithful in the days and weeks and months to come. I want to be more of that faithful servant. And if you do too, I hope that you'll track with me. Many of you know that I come from a long distance running background and have shared with you many times that my kind of favorite verse, my life verse comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 24, where it says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. At the dawn of this new kind of school year and ministry season and at the dawn of this vision week, let's remember what the real finish line is. And let's remember what the real race is that we're running. Because as captivating as, and as compelling as the vision is that God has for our church these days, that is not ultimately the vision that drives our faithfulness. Faithfulness is not driven by a vision of us, for us. Vision is ultimately driven, faithfulness is ultimately driven by a vision of Jesus and if you and I are going to be as faithful as we could be this year, let's keep our eyes on the vision of Jesus who came and died and rose again and entrusted us with his very life and with time and talents and energy and resources and money and networks and relationships with a promise to return. And let's allow our vision this week and this year not just to be driven by the vision of us and our church, Let's allow our faithfulness to be driven by a vision of the returning king and the whisper of the well-done, good and faithful servant he wants to say to every one of us. Let's pray together. Jesus, at the dawn of this new ministry year and at the launch of this vision week, we want to come together and acknowledge you as king. Even if we've never done that before, we want to acknowledge that we want to pursue understanding you as king. And as we do, God, as we, as we recognize you as king, as we come to understand your heart of love, and as we understand the vision of your life for us in this era in human history, all that you've entrusted to us in this meantime until you return, help us to more than anything keep an eye on your return to wait expectantly, to be ready and to be faithful, even in the small things and the small ways that you intend us to be. Thanks that when we do, 
when we live out that small faithfulness personally and when we live out that small faithfulness as ministries and as locations and together as a church community, you can do big things, especially over time. You've proven it again and again. So we want to, at the end of the day, just celebrate your faithfulness as we pledge hearts of desire to be faithful to you in the days and weeks and months to come. Keep our eye on the finish line, God, and keep our eye on the eventual imminent return of your one and only son. We pray in his precious and powerful name. Amen.